Adolf Aaron's podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Echo Biome Cool Pro Golf Shoes. Made from premium yak leather, which is really durable and incredibly soft, these things are really, really cool. Not just in looks, but also in the temperature, thanks to a unique cooling system, which allows airflow through ventilation channels. Now, you could wear these spikeless beauties straight out of the box, and while it has yak leather for comfort, it grips more than an alpine ibex. Look it up. Make sure you check out the Echo Biome Cool Pro shoes. They really are a magnificent addition to your game. They could easily fall into the something we love category, Phil, but that's not how we start at Tenuous Links. We kick things off with a bit of a therapy session. Rid ourselves of the negativity by voicing our hates. So, Philip, what's got your goat or Alpine Ibex this week? Thank you, Damien. Um, and it is very good to be here, and I will confess that I did not expect to be hearing the two words Alpine Ibex <laughs> yeah, individually or in that order. But thank you for introducing the terms Alpine Ibex into my life, and I will go and look it up. I, I think you need to. I promise you. Um, you know you've had a good week when your hate was a really hard one to discover or to come up with or to isolate, and my hate is corporate day handicaps, and I was very lucky enough to play a corporate day um, at a – Golf course that you may may not have heard of, um, Royal Melbourne. I think I've heard of it um, on the uh, the West Course in preparation for the President's Cup, Fantastic. with all the stands and everything else being put up around the um, golf course was absolutely unbelievable. But my hate is corporate day handicaps. When you get to the registration desk and you hear the person next to you, behind you, in front of you, or otherwise, give it the look. I normally play off fifteen, <laughs> and then there's a pause. Um, the bookmakers there get on. Whoever team, whatever team they're in, take that player because I normally play off 15, but the pause is, but the last time I shot 71, uh, it's never, but today, you know, I'm feeling like I'm a 25 marker. So is it, is it a, isn't it just a form of banditry in general though that you're getting upset about? Is it, is it predominantly a corporate day thing because you see it more at a, at a corporate day event? I think you're more aware of it at a corporate day event because the the idea of everyone having to have a, an official handicap, you know, you don't want to exclude people. It is a corporate event. You don't want to exclude them. But um, one thing I like from the uh, Robert, Allenby Challenge, uh, Robert Allenby Charity Day, the challenge run, is that 15 is your max. So if you don't have a, a official IGU or Golf Australia handicap, sorry, I'm going a long way back there, you play off 15. Um, and I think it just evens things up because some people are so desperate to win. And, Damien, we have had experience at a corporate day where at an individual Stableford level, um, people have been able to... Are you suggesting people don't score 55 Stableford points playing off, uh, what was it, 20, I think? Well, it was it was 20 or 21. Um, not only that, but uh, a very dear friend or associate of mine who has represented Australia in a BMW Cup final in South Africa um, was witness to the old, look, I normally play off 15 um, from a gentleman, I believe from either Indonesia or Malaysia, who after shooting 68 in the first round, playing off 13, wow, um, seemed to have the field pretty well covered. And there was a protest siren, um, and again, going back a little while, way that Pat Lawler, um, waving his hat 
uh, as the siren blew off. Um, so that, that's really my thing is if you're that desperate to win at a corporate day, then just cheat. But don't cheat with your handicap. Just flat out cheat. Like instead of taking four drives per group, take one. It's just not the Baron's way. It's not the. It is. You know what? That is a great summary. It is not the Baron. It is not the Baron's way. We we don't do that. Winning is not everything. Being competitive is. Um, yeah, but that, so that's my bugbear. But you know you've had a good week, and I've had to dig pretty hard to come up with corporate day handicap. <laughs> I can't believe you found something something negative to say about a corporate day at Royal Melbourne. So because, well played, sir. Yes, it, um, God's gift to golf. Magnificent. Well, for me this week, my hate is this. It's been going on for years. It's this common um, this conversation about the goat. No, not the ibex. Alpine talking ibex. about the greatest, <laughs> the greatest of all time, the Nicholas versus Tiger Woods debate that goes on. I'm I absolutely hate this debate because I think it is flawed in so many different areas. Now, I love Jack Nicholas. But I think Pink, it's Pink. pretty clear that Tiger Woods is what? the greatest golfer we've seen walk the earth. That I was expecting you to go a different direction with that, Damien. I was expecting you to say, now, I love Jack Nicklaus and clearly he's the GOAT. But, gee, Tiger Woods plays See, okay. See, this is the point that I'm making. But it just – you can't have this conversation without people getting upset about, oh, you can't compare eras, which is – there's some there's an element of truth to that for sure. But it's also – no, no, you can't say Nicklaus has the most majors, therefore. And if you speak to – basically any golfer, any pro golfer, and ask them this question off the record, every single one that I've spoken to always hands down says, yeah, Tiger Woods. But you don't want to disrespect Jack Nicholas, which I understand because the guy's an incredibly classy guy, has been for years and years and years. Um, Tiger's had some issues around around the class side of things, but purely on golf. Um, and again, it is, it's like splitting, it's splitting hairs between Winks and Black Caviar, I guess, to a degree. But for mine, yeah, Woods, this is what I mean. I can't, I hate how this goes down a rabbit hole every time it comes up. I think we're, we're done now. Woods has got the equal number of um, PGA Tour wins with Sam Snead now with 82, um, 15 majors. I think the guy's proven himself time and time again. Multiple so comebacks. You hate, the, you hate the, the argument and the conjecture as opposed to the suggestion that anyone, I mean, what do you hate more? Do you hate the argument more or the fact that someone believes that Jack Nicholas is still the GOAT? Well, not not so much of that. It's more. It's more. For me, it's it's a little bit like it's something that you can't ever question. Now that Jack Nicholas is the greatest of all time, it's a bit like the Don Bradman argument. As soon as people start bringing up, oh, he's he's as good as Don Bradman. Look, in theory, if you ever brought someone and said, oh, he was as good as Don Bradman could have been, it's like, no, 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 you're not allowed to ever say anyone's ever been better than Don Bradman or could be possibly better than Don Bradman purely on maybe one stat. And for him, it's the stat obviously of ninety nine point nine four average, but with Nicholas, it's all about some majors. But the whole major argument for me is back in the day when, when Nicholas is playing, you've got, yes, you've got the best field in golf playing. You're playing against the, the, the best field, the best players in the world at that event. But it's, it's arguable that that happens on the PGA Tour most weeks anyway. Certainly is arguable, and I'm very happy to argue that point, given the strength of the European Tour and the success of, of the European Tour players in the Ryder Cup. But plenty of European Tour players play on the PGA for certain events as well. So this, that's my point. I'm not saying every week, obviously. I think you're just trying to oh, hold yeah. your point and just be a bit There's of a pain in the There's absolutely no question, because in my other favourite sport, um, and, and as barons do, we tend to be across a few sports, um, there is this ongoing debate as well around Michael Jordan. Uh, or not. In fact, you know what? It's not a debate. There's a, a, a discussion around how close to LeBron James um, Michael Jordan is, or actually, and vice versa. I mean, you know, whether LeBron James is 98% of Michael Jordan or whether he's 99. Where, where do you stand? Still Jordan? 
Yeah, I think LeBron James is a solid seventy-five percent. So I'm kind of I'm contradicting myself a bit here because I I think yeah, no, George, the guy's a freak. No one's going near him. (laughs) No one's going near him. But I think there's no question that when you speak to people um, in the know about what Tiger Woods has achieved in an era where he's competed with um, technology changes and that have allowed other people to catch up to him, and he's had to continue to reinvent ways of winning. um, I won't ever declare that he's the GOAT. Why not? Because I'm really comfortable clearly stating that these two players are Mm. so clearly better than anyone else who's ever played the game that I don't think it's fair for me to split hairs on – well, not fair for me. No, I just don't have a clear position. I love Tiger Woods. I love the fact that he manipulates the ball the way he does. I love the fact that he hits low spin and high spin and um, hence some of his equipment choices that support that. Um, I didn't witness enough of Nicholas playing golf, but I love the aura of Nicholas because when I was getting into the game, it, it was a Nicholas era. But there's no question, given that I'm an old bloke and you're a young bloke, that partly part of this is influenced by the fact that he's been the most iconic player of your lifetime and potentially had you been born 30, 40 years prior when I was, um, that you may have a slightly different philosophy because you've you've witnessed both of them. But there was certainly no one in that in-between era. I think this is the clearest thing, is that between Nicholas and Woods, we had, you know, Norman doing unbelievable things and we had Feldo doing some pretty impressive things, but there just wasn't that standout of that iconic player. And it was almost in the post-Jordan, you know, if you look at basketball, this post-Jordan era of once he retired for the second or third time, um, who filled the gap? Well, LeBron James now has clearly filled the gap for the last 10 years. Kobe Bryant was pretty close to, to that because he's coming in third. But then you, people talk about Kobe Bryant and they talk about Larry Bird and then Magic Johnson and, and it clouds the conversation. In golf, it is Nicholas or Woods. Mm-hmm. And in basketball, it is now Jordan or James. Oh, sorry, it's not Jordan or James. In basketball, it is James, uh, Jordan. <laughs> wow. See, this is the problem. This is the problem. Is that you get so caught up because they're so close. <laughs> so you do get caught up. And you're trying to think of one, but maybe your sub- subliminal mind is saying you're not even buying into what you're saying. I probably agree that Tiger Woods is the, is, the, is the goat, and I can agree. Therefore, it must be a hate. Yep. So that, that's the conversation we need to. We just need to stop talking about it now. It's been going on for so long. I think we just leave it alone. They're both brilliant, obviously, both as good as they're going, as we're going to see in our lives. I can't can't see that changing. But Phil, it's time to. I mean. We've had a bit of we've had a bit of a hate hate off there, but let's get into some love. I want some love. I want to get, let's get the spirits of the room up. It was a pretty crap hate off. Though just it quietly. wasn't because there's a lot to love about the hates. There's a lot to love, <laughs> and that, that's the problem when you hate. And as we say, we, we've both had good weeks, so we're digging deep. But what I love, and this is taking things in a different tangent, almost a tenuous link. Um, I love the fact that golf clubs have thought enough about what they do to create club specific meals. Mm or club-specific drinks that are not just the same crap that's served by anyone else with a different name. So you mean some food and beer that's iconic of the course itself? That's unique. So it, it might well be, a you know, whether it, um, it is a burger or, or something, but it is unique. There has to be a hook to it that mm-hmm. says, gee, they don't do that anywhere else. What concerns me about it, so as much as I love that, because that's the thing where I, when I go and play golf, I'd love for someone at the bar or the bartender to say, when you think about what you want to drink, they say, "Well, you've got to have a club special of whatever." You've got it to might have be, a club. Yeah. Spe- you've got to have the the Kelly Super Duper, or you've got to have the the Roy Masters, or Please whatever. Don't you be naming these things? What, but whatever it takes. <laughs> but whatever it takes, there should be that. What is going to make this whole thing a little bit more memorable 
to me? Or is it a is it a coffee that you know instead of an Irish coffee, you know, do they drop a something else mm-hmm. weird into it? Whatever the case may be. And the only one that jumps to mind clearly from Australia um, is the Southerly Buster at Kingston at, Heath. Ah, uh, Kingston Heath, of course, yeah. So that's the so of all the the club, you know, I talk about loving mm-hmm. it. I think what I love is the concept of it. What I'm starved of is the reality of it. So I love the fact that you go to Kingston Heath and it is just you've got to have a Southerly Buster. If it's the first time you've played there and you're old enough to drink, kids, um, I've got to have a Southerly Buster. Maybe we put the challenge out there for a club to come up with their own specific drink around the Alpine Ibex cocktail. Now, the Alpine, what a great name for a drink, the Alpine Ibex. Can I have an Alpine Ibex, please? And you know how many you've had by how well you can pronounce it. No, there's actually, you know what they do? They build a little hill out the front and you've got to drink an Alpine Ipex and see and how see far up the hill you can over. make it. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got I to think be able that, to climb. I think that's gold. But but to that point, it would be fantastic to know whether I'm so insular in my network that Kingston Heath is the only one I know about. So, so if there are other drinks and other clubs there or you know of a club that you play at that has a club-specific drink or a club-specific meal that is really unique, then... Tell us about it because we'll happily promote it because we're you know this is what we're, this is what barons do we go looking for the hidden secret the hidden gem and hopefully a not so hidden gem um, and maybe it'll just prompt these clubs to to say you know we we need one um, and I was down at the national and suggested this very thing to one of the guys down there that we need a go to we need a go to drink that if I take a guest there uh, and I'm very fortunate to be a member there but if I take a guest there that oh you've got to have this. Yeah, it's something yeah, you're really you've got proud to have of as a member. member. Whatever yeah. the case may be, but it is unique to the national. It might be a Trent Jones. It might be, you know, one of the designers, uh, a pokey dokey. Who knows? Anyway, that's my love. So I love the concept, what I will say. I love the concept of a club-specific drink that is part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't hate. I dislike the fact that Kingston Heath is the only one that I know of with a subtly buster, and I want to be challenged on that. And I want to hear from people saying, "Oh, come on, man! Everyone knows that." Well, I want to be on. I want to be on the um, tasting panel to find out which one is the best. Um, yes, I know you actually want a club-specific <laughs> cigar. You're driving and drink combo. But Damien, that's enough about what I love. Um, what do oh, you love? My love for this week. It's actually a bit of an old love that I'm reinventing. It's not scoring when I play. You would do that well. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not because I've – well, it is because I I produce pretty high scores at times. Um, (laughs) But, no, it's more for the point that I think it's very easy – golf is a game that we love and it's very easy to to fall in love with the game, but it's also very easy to fall out of love with the game when it beats you up. And it only takes a couple of rounds of of, um, horrible scoring to really get – you can really flatten you. And I've, that happened to me only a couple of months ago, as we've talked about, uh, to, to a point where I changed up a whole heap of different things uh, in order to try and get back back into it. But by not scoring, I've got the, my philosophy is by not scoring, you enjoy all the and you remember all the good shots. When you score, you remember all the bad shots, all the things you've missed, the lip outs, the the dare we say shanks, anything that doesn't go perfectly, you remember. But when you don't score. You remember all you remember is the chip in. You remember the big drive off. It doesn't matter that you scored. You come off going, oh, I've had a really good game. I played really well. Did you? Yeah, I don't know. I'm telling the other people who remember the bad shots is when you potentially are playing with someone in a corporate day <laughs> on Monday at Royal Melbourne uh, and having had to give up your Golf Australia Golf Link number. Um, 
very early in the round, they say, gee, you can't have gone well when you had 18 points the other day. Um, they remind you about the bad shots that you've hit or, or certainly bring bring that back. But I think there's a there's a time and a place. We have a discussion a lot about would you rather hit it better or score better. And I think there's also that there's a time and a place whereby I don't want to score. Mm-hmm. I'm just out here to hit and go chase and then to hit and go chase. And often that is an environment where there are other things going on, whereby it is conversational, long-lost mates or otherwise that you're reconnecting with. Um, whereby you can have a different type of round that doesn't have to be competitive. Now, we are, as golfers, we are competitive by nature and golf barons are competitive by nature, but that doesn't mean they need to compete every single time. And I agree, sometimes when the gloves are off and you can, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm going to hit this shot. And you've heard me say a few times, I'm going to go for a shot that I don't have in my bag. Yeah, but if you pull it off, you've just created a memory. That's right. And that's when I'm, when I'm not scoring is that I'll try yeah. that as opposed to, if I'm scoring, I wish I could hit this shot, but because I'm scoring, I'm not going to. Yeah. Maybe that reflects on my mindset. And just to be clear, I'm not saying don't ever score. I'm saying, as you've sort of mentioned, selectively score. So sometimes you have to score other times, you know, when you're having a competitive round with the mates, but give yourself, let yourself off every now and again and go out and just play. Just play and you'll love it. I really think it, it's a, it could be a game changer, Phil. It really could be. But instead, we've got a couple of other game changers for today. What have you got? My game changer, Damon, is really around um, what I'm terming – it's not quite, but I'm terming generation lost. And it's a lost Ooh. opportunity for golf in Australia. Is this the vibe? Um, <laughs> this is not. The, the, this is the challenge that, that we've got, is that golf – is traditionally played, and when we've got the most time, it's when we're 50-plus to go and play golf. So it's I'll when take your kid. word for that. What's that? I'll take your word for that. that that's really hurtful. Um, really hurtful from someone who doesn't like scoring because they only then remember the good shots, all four of them. But We've the, already done loves. The 50-plus, um, the, there's this 50-plus catchment of when we have lots of time to play golf, um, when we have they when they have lots of time to play golf, they potentially have – more disposable income to spend on the game of golf. Yeah. They are the core member at the majority of golf courses. Um, in fact, not – yeah, the vast majority of golf courses. Around, around the world, It, it yeah. is their core member around the world. Um, they also have a greater need um, to continue to connect um, with with friendship groups and to continue to converse. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of negativity um, and quite rightly around – mental illness and a lot of awareness that needs to be built around mental illness. Yet I'm watching what is happening in, in the golf market in Australia and I love some of the investments that have been made. I love the investment that Golf Australia have made in growing the game for kids with the My Golf program. I love the investment they're making in growing the game for women. I love the investment they're making in growing the game for people with, with disabilities or other abilities. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic. What I'm not seeing is Golf Australia investing mm. in the core of their business, the core of their revenue, and the core of the success of golf courses around Australia and around the world, but we're talking about Australia at the moment, is investing in this, this idea of how do we get them playing more, re-engaged, continue to talk, win back campaigns for 50 pluses who've been lost in that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that 30 to 45, in that 30 to 45 age group. You know, where you, you focus on work and you focus on family um, and therefore potentially the game is lost yeah. to you or you only taste it. How do we get them back? Because they're members potentially of golf clubs or regular players if they're not members for 30, 30 years, years to come. 30 years, yeah, I was just thinking For that. 35 years to come. And they'll invest yeah. and they'll invest and they'll invest. 
what we are doing is we're actually investing a lot of money in people that will get till they're at 25. So we'll get a 15-year-old till he's 25 and then he gets a job or start a family and You're do the other for things. 30 years almost. And so, so then we have to wait another 25 years before they're back in the game. And so, so it is a, my opinion that, that and I'll refer to it as generation, generation lost because we've, I think golf has turned its back on its core business and there's just not a business in the world that you can afford to do that. So that's my my rant. So really, the game changer is let's win them back. And I know I had that genius uh, hashtag of play it forward, but this is a chance to to win golfers back um, who've been lost to the game. Mm-hmm. And the obligation then is on members to win them back. So go and introduce a mate. Grab a mate who you haven't played golf with for 15 years. Go and have a game of Get golf. Get them to, to fall back in love with it. Welcome them back. There was a concept that ran in the, um, in the UK or in Europe um, green free program, which was if you bring a mate to the golf course, they'll play free, yeah. uh, and it's only one off. But just give them that taste again. Get, you know, get them back in touch. And I will tell you what, you might well save someone's life because part of the conversation that comes up during the course of those four and a half or five hours mm-hmm. may be the difference between life and death. And I don't want to, you know, make it too negative and down. But this is the opportunity that exists. And I'd like Golf Australia, from a local point of view, to start recognising this and, and taking advantage of what is a massive opportunity and lots of upside for the game um, and, and starting to pay back the revenue drivers that are the, the 50 plus. No, Here no. endeth my rant. It's no. more a rant than a game. No, it's a good, no, it was a good, good rant from you. One oh, of your well, finest rants. Is that one of my best rants? It's a good rant off. Can we record um, that then? All, all of a sudden I'm feeling a bit ordinary because all I was going to say was for a game changer, just play with a laser range finder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness you brought some levity back into the situation. <laughs> oh, so, Damien, it's your turn. Yeah, that's it. I want, I want to see. I think we can make it. <laughs> you've just, you've thrown me big time. Just playing with a laser range finder. I want to bring that in. Why do GPSs even exist? This is where I'm, this is, I'm, I'm a little bit ranty. Why do you but, ask? Well, what do we need to know? Like, we, when we're there, standing with a ball, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get to the flag, to the pin. All you need to know is the distance to that pin. That's all you need to know. Because if you can hit a ball to that, to that spot, that's basically all you need to know. <laughs> laser range finder, bang. Oh, 135, done. We spend so much time with our iPads or with our phones, like staring at a screen, and now we're out in this beautiful area um, landscape, and what do we do? We sit there looking at a GPS to tell us what we can just look up and say, oh, yeah, that's where I'm trying to go. We, we, don't, we don't live in the moment anymore, Phil. Live in the moment, Phil. Do you know, do you know what I'm loving about today's podcast, Damien? Um, find something. Is the fact that I'm ready to disagree with you again Oh <laughs> man, something else. And, and again, I'm going to use, and, and I don't want to keep harping on the fact that I can't remember where I played it on Monday. Yeah, hang on, it's coming back to me. I played at Royal Melbourne. So you know how people drop names? You're a course dropper. You Royal drop Melbourne. courses everywhere. Royal Melbourne. Oh, I'll pick that up for you. What, did you just pick up Royal Melbourne? <laughs> did you pick up West or East? Anyway. Um, Composite. So there, oh no, not, not yet. Not yet, but hopefully my fingers are crossed one day in my life. But really? I won't talk about golf. I've only ever played the composite, Phil. Media days are Damien. fun. Damien, let's get this back <laughs> on track. So the GPS discussion. So playing it a course such with firm conditions such as Royal Melbourne West, you never want to know where the flag is. You want to know where the front of the green is. 
because you want to be landing the ball on the front almost of every green at the level of golf we have because the greens are too firm to be able to spin it back. So at Royal Melbourne, if you aim to get the ball to every flag by only knowing how far the flag is, you're adding an extra, a little bit of extra mathematics that is not required, which is now if the flag's 150 and the front of the green's 135, I actually need to hit at 135. Now, if only I had a unit that could have told me how far the front of the green was. Now, that's sound logic if... The- Thank you. No, that's sound logic if said device is actually accurate. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> GPS is nowhere near as accurate as a laser rangefinder. Discuss. They, uh, GPS is claimed, are claimed to be within a couple of yards. People which, claim let's that be fair, Elvis is The last time that you or I hit 10 shots that finished within two yards of the same distance of an iron... Um, I think is a fair disclaimer for the GPS. The last like time it. you were hitting that accurately, I was in a bloody suit and Don't you were it. nearly hitting Don't me in the it. head. Don't do it. Yeah, speaking of, yes, no, that's a very- You actually, get pretty accurate a, when I'm your point. target. Yes, when, when you are my target, I'm accurate. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of the, the GPS, they're, what I'll say is they are accurate enough based on satellite mapping Ooh, and some technology that I really don't understand um, that allows them- to, to provide that accuracy. On top of that is the ability to actually move the pin around if you knew where it was. But this leads to a big game changer, Damien, which might actually assess uh, and provide a solution both for you and for I as laser rangefinder versus mm-hmm. GPS, is why don't clubs, when they're setting pin positions, given the fact that everything is GPS now on, on these la da clubs, log the pin positions of the day with coordinates, whereby when you get to the golf course and you turn your bloody GPS unit on, it automatically uploads the pin positions. So now I have the exact pin position based on GPS coordinates, although at some stage in a less accurate GPS map, it may appear that the pin is in a bunker. <laughs> so, so your whole argument was that you don't need – your whole argument for GPS was originally that you don't need to know where the pin is, and now you're reinventing it by saying, hey, how about we find out exactly where the pin is on the GPS? In relation to Lloyd. the uh, – in, rela- <laughs> love. in <laughs> relation to the other measurements that we need. So if I know front and back – and this is where the journey, and, and there is one unit that is the best, um, and this is not a paid advertisement, but I'd like it to be Garmin. <laughs> um, the Garmin Z80 rangefinder. Oh, you're on about this again. Is the best combination of GPS and rangefinders I've ever seen in my whole time in golf. So it's the idea that you, you look on the GPS and go, okay, that's kind of nearly where it is, and then you use the laser and you get it correct. Is that how it works? No, the whole idea <laughs> is you just spot up a flag with the laser. And in your viewfinder is a map of the green that also shows you the key distances or the key trap, you know, is there a trap behind the green or otherwise. So within actually whilst sighting the pin, you're seeing the whole lay of the land in front of you, um, which is the the optimum combination of of GPS and rainfinder. And that actually appeases both of us, Damien. Yeah, I think it does. I might need to get my hands on this and we might need to do a review on this at some point. Yeah, we we may need to. Garmin. Um, but I'm sure. I, mean, I think Bushnell will do a, a hybrid, um, a, a hybrid GPS laser rangefinder as well. Bushnell, um, but the Garmin one is the best execution of it that I've seen, and, it, and mm. it actually does feel. The only negative is that it feels like you're looking through a bit of a like at a TV screen as opposed to a clear image. But the reality is they've had to do that to be able to project the, the golf course onto it. But so if you had to pick a GPS over a laser, what are you picking? No, I'm laser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like the goat, I know, I know I'm this. so crap at taking a position and sticking to it. Yes, Tiger Woods is the goat. Yes. Hang on, Michael Jordan is the goat, and lasers are the goat. But one of the questions I have with that is: when you play a lot of golf with groups, do you find that 
you become the laser guy, by which I mean the laser caddy. Hey, hey, how far is it from here? And you're like, oh, God, you are 152. Oh, wait, okay, where am I? Oh, what about, do you become that guy? Because I'm always that guy. You I'm out there. You are that guy in a they, number of ways, yeah. They say it and they go, I'll just, he's now my caddy for the day. Or at least for yardage. What I love, what I actually love, so not so much that um, because they don't trust what I say, and probably quite rightly, but when you're standing you on a path three, that, this is the best thing for me. You're standing on a path three and everyone likes to be a little bit technical and we're oh, look at my gadget, look at my gadget. And you've got three blokes or three people, um, three humans. That's got man in it. You can say, you can say blokes. It's three fine with me. Blokes. Uh, okay, we'll go with this. A group of, if we're a group of four males to be playing together, and three of the males on it's a particular par three are all standing there with their laser rangefinders, all discussing and pointing at the flag, as opposed to, to your point, just saying, Damo, how far? We've got three guys with different brands going, no, I've got 152, I've got 153, hang on, that's no, 52. Just take mm. three off your 155. Why swing. don't you just ask Damien, and we can all just cut to the chase of getting the game going again as opposed to, hey, you know, look at, oh, you got a Garmin. Oh, I've got a Bushnell. No, 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 I've got Damien. Damien, how far is it? It Mate. might be the one purposeful use for a caddy. Hey, it might be the one pur- purposeful use for me. Yeah. Anyway, moving along. Whilst we- you're not scoring. Yes, while I'm not scoring, it will work. Now, Phil, I know you've got a bit of a gear effect this week. That's a, It's been a bit of a, a bugbear of yours over time. Um, it, It's actually been a... Bugbear in one sense, but actually something really positive in the other, which oh, has wow. been- you found something positive, Mr. Negativity. Oh, love it. It's just outrageous. Good on we you, st- Phil. I mean, we start with a hate and we move you. on to love. I did say I love club-specific drink. There's a lot of things that I love. Okay. There's a lot of things you hate. I'm a, yeah, I'm a deep- Yeah, that's probably not a bad point. Um, this is the positive side effect. So traditionally, there's when you're looking at, at tour pros and you're looking at their golf bags- there's always been this discussion of, yeah, but they're paid to use that, mm. but they're paid to use that. Um, and in the vast majority of cases, these are the tools of their trade, so they would choose to use what they're using. But in other cases, is yeah, damn right I'm paid to use it and I'm yeah. going to hit it because if it's 95% as good as something else, that'll do me, but check out my cash and it just bought me a new car. With the Nike uh, apparel contracts, which are starting to come to an end, so when Nike were in hardware, they would mm. sign someone to a contract that said, you can't sign a contract with any competing brand, which meant that people like Brooks Kepka or Your Patrick Reed, um, he, he is my favourite, uh, on so many levels, I'll declare it now. Brooks Hopefully and- he'll be the GOAT. <laughs> anyway, but when you look at someone like Brooks Kepka or even Tiger, as soon as they're in the Nike contract and as soon as they got the, the Nike apparel, they weren't allowed to take money from anyone else as part of their contracts with Nike, mm-hmm. which meant that they could choose what they wanted to use. And so my gear effect thing this week is that ideal of I choose what I use. Um, and if you look at Brooke Kepska's bag, if you look at Tommy I Fleet's- I use what I choose. I use what I choose. Do you like them? Um, I prefer I, I- Hashtag. Use what I choose, yeah. You said choose what I lose. Use. Oh, God. Oh, Where are we? Goodness. Score of you. Um but you use what you choose to use. So Brooks Kepka therefore can go out and find the best driver that works for him, mm-hmm. or the best irons that, that work for him, the best wedges, the best. It's more the validation, best. isn't it? It's more There's honest more, validation, more authenticity to it. But the authenticity, which is again, it's a very golf baronsy thing, is to just what you, you just have to back what you see yeah. and back what you say a hundred percent of the time. Sometimes I will um, flip flop between the goats, other than Jordan, 
But but you just choose. You have to back in what you say. So Kepka has said, "I will play the driver that is best for me." Yeah. Um, and which has been a Taylor made driver. I will play the irons that are best for me, which has been Mizuno irons. Um, Patrick Reed um, won the Masters with a ping driver by choice with mm-hmm. a Nike contract. Um, Gary Woodland. Um, on the flip side, actually won the US Open with a ping driver, the G410 Plus, that he um, put in his bag because he could choose to. Tommy Fleetwood, Mizuno Irons. Oh, another another favourite of yours. I love Tommy Fleetwood. But Mizuno Irons and Tullamo Driver. Yeah. So you start to See, look at these yeah. bags and you say, so effectively they've walked into a shop and said, now what would I like to use? Because it's all about performance. It's not about anything but performance. Do you find that's more reflective of an everyday golfer as well. Um, most of your friends or people that you play with, do they have, are they a one brand kind of um, setup or do you find that it is mixed bags as a general rule? Uh, of the people in my very, very tight social network that you keep reminding me of, um, Damien, thank you, associates as you like to call me mm. calling them, um, uh, every one of them is a mixed bag. Yeah, okay. Uh, every single well, one. I'm of them. A, I mean, I'm a mixed bag myself. So what's your, what's your current setup uh, if, uh, if, as we stand today? Uh, driver is the Ping G400 Max. Yeah, which you've loved for a long well, time. Well, I didn't like the look of it, if no. you can look at my review, but I loved the results of it. It's magnificent. Um, the Tour Edge CBX1193 wood, which is yeah, possibly said, yeah. my <laughs> favourite stick in the bag. I it, love that thing. The fa- that will never get out of my – I'm telling you now, I cannot see that ever being taken out of for my bag. For the record, it's the favourite – your favourite club in your bag that is not yours. It's mine. It's your favourite club in your bag that is not yours. I want this stated the for the record. statute of limitations I, on I'd like clubs it stated for the record that your favourite club in your bag is mine. Look, there's holes in that. <laughs> Moving on, Mizuno MP4s. I've still got my yeah. old MP4 blades. Um, mm. I'm looking to upgrade Blade them. Blade guy. I'm looking to upgrade them, but, God, I love them. Blade guy. I love them. Uh, what else have I got in the bag? Uh, my wedges, uh, I think they're the MD4s. Yep. The Callaway MD4s. And the putter, I've got an even roll ER2. So what's that? One, two, three, five brands? Five, five. You know Brooks, but you're going okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I don't score, so- Was that a Genesis reference or is it- Oh, wow. Something else. What, what's <laughs> your golf ball? What's the golf ball that- uh, the, at, the, well, at the moment, I'm playing with some lower spitting balls- just whatever I can find. It is, yeah, yeah. And and you spend enough time looking for them, which is yeah. good in preparation yeah. oh, in preparation for it. But I think that idea of a mixed bag is is everything. Yeah. You're reasonably mixed as well, aren't you? Yeah, completely. Yeah. What yeah. about your bag? Completely mixed. I'm the same. I'm, look, I'm um, out of some misguided allegiance. I'm um, an exotics driver, which I love. Um, the XS, oh, that's it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, which yeah. we reviewed. Um, well, you, in fact, I you reviewed, reviewed I and that, that maybe your driver that I'm- I actually love that thing is, that, yeah, that that's pretty special. Maybe your driver I'm using. An old, um, an, an old exotic three-wood, um, which I've still got. So the original CBX three-wood, um, which I love. Uh, yeah. And then I've got Callaway irons. I've got Rogue Pro irons. I've got Callaway MD3 wedges. And then I've got my exotics putter, which oh, is yes, you should have my that. Cleveland putter. Yes. But I won't bore anyone with that story again, Please other don't. than the fact that it's a new love affair. And it could be the GOAT. <laughs> It could be the game. Well, no, no. Um, but it's this idea of, of using of using um, and of seeing people at the at the peak of their game choosing exactly what it is that they want to use because that is what it's going to perform. Quite best. refreshing, and though, I, isn't and it? And I love it. It's refreshing to see that on the pro um, on the pro tour as well. Yeah, it's fantastic, and it, it's a really positive side effect for Nike's foray into hardware and then Nike's exit from hardware is that these people were uh, uh, and superstars were contracted to not take money from anyone else. Mm. So the question is often asked amongst punters, okay, yeah, but they're paid. They're paid. That's why they choose it. Okay. Well, they, they're not, and they're choosing this, so well, pay attention. Weren't they also – haven't there been several players who were effectively paid to not show 
other brands that they had in their bags. Um, so they might have been playing, for example, they might have been playing a, um, I don't know, a Mizuno hybrid, say, and they just wouldn't show that because they were contracted to a tailor-made. More just out of respect, it's this idea of non-compete. So mm. a, a company will often say you've got you've got to play 13 clubs or you've got to play 14 clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that was something that, that with Justin Rose's um, decision to exit um, tailor-made and go and play Honma, um, there were some restrictions or potential restrictions, you know, around the fact that TaylorMade would like him to use 14 clubs and he wanted to use 13, but potentially 14, but from a contract point of view. So I think what they often do is they'll just chuck a head cover on something else. And you see Covered that up, you yeah. see that a lot. Um, in fact, I think even with Gary Woodland um, had a, either a generic head cover or otherwise on his driver, on his ping driver when he won the US Open, mm-hmm. um, because it's just a bit of respect to the company that, that he's ultimately paying you, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't, there was no surprise when Tiger went to, um, when his ball went changed to, changed to Bridgestone, for example. Oh, from, from the from Nike, Nike ball. Or didn't change. Yeah, that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a little bit of that. It, it doesn't go on. I mean, there's, like, without going too deep into the, the um, manufacturing side of it. Has cleared with legal? <laughs> it's always the, I know I'm just waiting to get the green light. Um, there's always this discussion, even amongst, you know, Hunters saying, oh, yeah, but they all come out of the same factory. Well, they just don't. They just don't come out of the same factory. But every now and again, um, a company will make something under contract to another company. Yeah. But they just it's not just one golf ball cost company or one golf club company manufacturing it. And, again, from um, a couple of the big ones like Ping and Mizuno have exclusive access to foundries and from Mizuno's point of view, it's exclusive actress, uh, access to a forgery um, whereby they're the only golf clubs that come out of that foundry. Mm-hmm. Um, full stop. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those little myths. But we might do myths and misnomers. That's no, 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 some kind of a normal to quote uh, Fletch um, at, at another stage. No, that sounds good. Now, Phil, I've, this is an interesting one. I received a, um, or we received a, a rather terse message this week on Facebook, um, which you can jump on, search for us at Barons of Golf, um, and uh, like us there, give us a like and, and get involved. Um, but the message was simple. It said, what is this? <laughs> that was straight we? to the point, it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it got, it got me thinking, Phil, how, how do we define what a baron is? I mean, we've had long discussions about this, but I want to, what do you define as a baron? Look to the PGA Tour as an example, if you need to. Who, who would be your, who would jump out of you, at you straight away as a, he or she is a baron? Uh, look, baron is, I mean, for mine, baron is a, is a I choose golf. It is a. I like the competitive nature, but I like the escapism. I like the friendship around it. I like the aspiration around the game. I like, you know, what's the best? What's the nicest? What's this and that? And it doesn't matter whether I can afford it, whether I've got access to it. I like it. For me, from a US tour point of view, from a US tour, um, a player that to me embodies all of that would be a Ricky Fowler. Yeah, bang. Which is just someone who he's got a little bit, of, a little bit of a swagger. He's got <laughs> a spark, a little bit of gleam in his eyes, a bit so and the likable. He's authentic though. But That's it is, a this very is, important this part is of him. It. And we see this a lot through Challenge and, and, again, the Luke the Duck thing. But he'll go and ride motorbikes and he'll go and, you know, be one of the golf boys with Ben Crane and mm-hmm. Barbara and do all the foolish stuff. But he actually celebrates the game. He knows what the game's given him. Um, but it's not forced to give back. It's just in his DNA, and that's so. So that's very Baron esque from my point of view. And um, I'll stop short of um, declaring him Baron Goat or Uber oh, no, Baron. He's not Baron Goat. He can't be. I've I've got well, the Baron Goat. Well, 
Where's the blow the protest siren here? Well, oh, you've declared early and this has not been cleared by legal, but- I've got these. You can hear that? That's me tapping yeah. on something that will tell you who I'm Laranaga. thinking of. Oh, I can't even speak properly now. I'm the goat of now, mispronunciation. You'll find they're Cuban cigars. <laughs> when you think Cuban cigars, who are you thinking about? Cosmo Cromer. Oh, there's that. Then there's Miguel Angel uh, Jimenez. Oh, speaking of butchering the language. <laughs> I love him. He he personifies everything that is barren to me. That is a barren. He's he loves the game. He's always up for a bit of fun. He loves the the good life. Some cigars, some wine. He's a little bit more flexible than the baron sitting at this table. But other than that, it, the man is he he puts the cool in something that's cool. I don't know. Help me out here. What have I got? Ice. The man's wow. The man is he's. <laughs> Ultimate Baron, and I don't think you're going to disagree with me on that. I can't, I can't disagree, and it's just that love. The it's the smile and the joy he gets from being around the game, but the nice things that have come from the game, and it be it cigars or be it wine. And I, I do recall fondly um, him walking past. I think it was the World Cup um, at Royal Melbourne, Royal Melbourne again, um, yeah. a few years ago. When um, after his round, he was walking. I reckon within five minutes of getting out of the scorer's hut, he had a bottle of wine in his hand and a cigar and was going for a wander. And it, it's just because he wants to continue to enjoy his life. And, yeah. and in fact, he said that golf has given him a lot and he wants to give back, but it's not forced. Yeah, but the fact that he'll still go, oh, I want to go skiing and I'll go skiing and I'll break my leg and it costs me a year out on the golf course. But I love skiing. Why would I not I want to live my life and yeah. live it to the fullest? So, yeah, he's a goat. Come yeah. on. He's well, the yeah. Uber Baron. He might, look, I, I think it, to this point in time, until we've heard a suggestion that will pass him up, and there's a couple that we'll no doubt speak about because stories are starting to come out of Baron-type behaviour at a at a golf course level or at a local level, not just, you know, at a USP, US Tour, PGA Tour level, um, but the search for the goat. Ooh, search for the search Baron for goat. the Uber Baron. Or the Alpine Ibex. Or the Alpine Ibex of Barons. The Alpine Baron um, is on in is on in earnest, uh, and so we again we'd love to have any feedback via you know direct message via on Instagram, Facebook, um, email or otherwise. But let us know if there is a story of someone at your golf club or in your area that um, that personifies Baron-esque behaviour, um, and just think about him and Eth, as you like to call Very him, good. as a um, as that iconic or that, that benchmark or a Ricky Fowler, and it might be little quirks, it might be. Look, who knows what it is? It might be some on-course behaviour, some off-course behaviour otherwise. But but feel free to suggest. And if we uh, get it cleared by legal, we'll happily discuss. <laughs> we'll happily discuss them at six hundred an hour. Outstanding. The um, now cigars. I've been trying to get you into cigars for quite some time. To, <laughs> it's one of the most contemplative things that you can do. Sitting back, the aromas. The, you get the get the head thinking. You 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 start dreaming, Phil. And I've I'm dreaming this week. Thank White you. Christmas again? No, not quite. I'm dreaming of a place that neither of us have been to. We've seen a lot about it. In fact, you might have been there. King Island, Phil. I'm dreaming about King Island. You were hoping I hadn't been there, weren't you, Damien? I, I was, because I don't want you <laughs> dropping the name down. I thought I'd get in first. King Island. I can't. I'll hand it over to you. What's um? What are your thoughts? Have you been there? I guess you Look, I was very fortunate. Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, I've lived a fortunate life. I was very fortunate. Man. Um to have wandered down to King Island on a, a relatively private jet in the nobody You could have walked down just about or only come up to your waist. That's some of the best Bass talk humour I've heard today. And you've come up with really none other than that, which I appreciate. Um, but um, King Island 
at 25, you know, if you're in Melbourne, 25 minutes flight out of either Reston Airport or Moorabbin Airport. So that's the- A bit further, but yeah. It was 26 out of Essendon. No, I think it's about 40. Well, I was 35. on the plane. Anyway, but you should know, because um, I was on the plane mm-hmm. and coming into the, the north end of, of King Island where Cape Wickham um, golf course is and, and the pilot very generously gave a little plane the, the tilt just so that we could all get a good view of the lighthouse mm-hmm. and, um, and all the rest of flying in there. God's gift golfing landscape, very coastal, both Cape Wickham and Ocean Dunes. Highly coastal, mm-hmm. um, but a, just a beautiful, tranquil place within reach. I mean, it's halfway between Victoria and Tasmania, um, you know, depending whether it's 26 minutes or 40 minutes, but um, but it is just a dream. It is just a dream golfing location because once you're there, no offence to anyone down there, but in, you've got curry and that's not the food, that's the town. Oh, thank you. For, thanks for clarifying. All right. Yeah. Um, you not, can not marry. <laughs> you get you get some of the best cheeses in the world. You get some of the best beef in the world. Oh, the lobsters, the crayfish, get, the giant get, crab. This this place is is a um, is an absolute. I don't know gastronomical feast of a place. I can't and wait. Given your love for oysters, Damien. Oh yeah. Um, they also have a, an unbelievable oyster farm, or if not, if not more than one. Sorry if I've insulted the fifty-eight <laughs> oyster farmers down at King Island, but but it's got everything that is good about the world. I'm not sure whether you're allowed to smoke cigars on King Island, but you're going to give it a crack. We're going to find out. And do you know why I've been dreaming about this film? Because we were given an opportunity to to barons up to golf barons up a little boutiquey trip yes, to we King Island. Yes, we were. That's why we're both smiling we're as we're both talking about it. <laughs> like little schoolgirl. So Barons on tour, we were given the, the challenge of, of taking a very, very tight and a very small group on a trip somewhere that we could really put a bit of a Baron spin on and, and have the finest things and the nicest things that, that we can get our hands on. And um, and frankly, we can't wait. Well, March <laughs> can't come quick enough in the, as far as I'm concerned. We've got a... Uh, We've got a fan, oh, couple of million dollar jet flying us down there. We're going to be going down in style. Well, <laughs> that doesn't sound great, does oh, it? Don't. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, just looking illegal. Um, King Island. Um, I mean, you've got the King Island Cheese Factory. We've got lobsters, crayfish, as we've said, the oyster farm, the, um, the uh, we said crabs, giant crabs. I mean, if at least half of us don't come back with gout, we haven't done this trip properly. <laughs> and what they don't have will bring... Um, and, you know, we'll find the nice things. But, again, it's part of the celebration, and I think that's really the, the point is it's a great place to just get away, celebrate, talk, enjoy each other's company, hopefully enjoy food, enjoy wine, enjoy soft drink if you're a teetotaler but there aren't any on our plane. And we're also going to have a lot of little barons um, surprises along the way because that's kind of the things that we do just to make this ultra fun. So if you're interested in... in um or if you know people who are a group that would love a bit of barons, a bit of baronsing up, a bit of barons, a little bit of swagger, add a bit of swagger to your trip. Make sure you, uh, you well, we're into the DMs at the moment, aren't we? We'll direct messaging. Just let, us, right. let us know and yeah, we'll, just um, let us we'll know. see if we can uh, organise something for you. But or, in the meantime- or, or at worst, we'll give a nice spin on it. We'll give you some good ideas. But, yeah, let us know because, as I say, this is an opportunity of a lifetime and I think it took what, not a even, minute. It was It was- <laughs> Not even two hours till we had confirmation that the plane was full. <laughs> the, the plane was full, um, which is just going to be absolutely awesome. Um, so, yeah, can't wait. But, yeah, Cape Wickham, Ocean Dunes, two great golf courses to play back-to-back. The accommodation at Cape Wickham's meant to be absolutely fantastic. There'll be a couple of drinks along the way. 
March is a long way away, isn't it? I'm excited. I can't believe I'm wishing away summer. That's not good. No, that's not good. <laughs> anyway, so Phil, the time has come yet again for everyone to sit back, close your eyes, and listen to the dulcet tones of Phil giving us another golf history lesson. I don't appreciate the way that you've presented that, Damien. <laughs> I was trying to be patronising. Yeah, no, I never came was, across. That was really good. Well, um, the topic today, Damien and one that you'd think based on your scores you'd played more than was 18 holes <laughs> oh, is why why golf course has, um, has 18 holes. Um, and I might have mentioned in previous podcasts about my love of St Andrews, and that's really where everything um, emanated from, um, from the origins of the game, the development of the rules, uh, and everything else. So 18 holes. Rumours, rumours around the 18 holes was that 18 little drams or 18 little drams of whiskey mm-hmm. got you through, um, using the terminology that I found when I was doing some research, was a fifth. Hang on, have you worked out, is, are you trying to tell me there's an actual specific measurement for what a dram is? I'm saying it's claimed. There are oh, many rubbish. claims that suggest that there are 18 drams of whiskey in a fifth. Yeah, no, no, don't go Google this because but- there is these are, these are baseless and... So if there's a dram, if dram is an act, you're trying to tell me genuinely that there's a measurement that's been given for a dram, then what's a wee dram? What's a wee dram? It's a, it's a smaller one. All right. So, all yeah. right. so it's a, like a smaller liter. It, it, a wee dram is like a 0.71 dram thing. You're getting me it's bogged down. The, they've lost the flow already. You're anyway, in the bog. Back you're to the, the history peak. lesson. Why, Damien, is the question you're asking me, are there 18 holes? Phil, why are there 18 holes in golf? Well, thank you for asking, Damien. St Andrews, going back, way back, um, used to be 22 holes. So it used to start with four short holes uh, and finish with four short holes. Um, and so there were 22 holes in, in total at St Andrews. Um, and at some stage, well, not at some stage, we know when it was, in 1764 they said, enough of this rubbish, to improve the quality of the golf course and to improve the playability of the golf course, we're actually going to take the four at the start and make them two, and we're going to take the four at the end and we're going to make them two. And hence, 18 holes were born, um, it, which then came into law uh, in the RNA in 1858 that that defined what a golf course was. So a golf course and a round of golf was deemed to be 18 holes. Um, one of the great things, the great things about St Andrews, one of the 4,000 million, billion great, great things, things about St Andrews is the fact that golf course used to be played in reverse. So the golf course that we see now hosting Open Championships and all the rest of it, where you know the 17th hole with a road bunker, well, that used to be the first green. So the golf course used to be played to the 17th green and then to the 16th green and then to the 15th green. So the 12th hole at the old course at St Andrews, when you stand on the tee, which is roughly the old green position, when you stand on the tee and you look down the fairway, you wouldn't know there was a bunker there. It's like... I know I was going to say something derogatory about some course designers in Australia, but you'd look down the hole and you wouldn't know there was a bunker on the course, but they're everywhere down this on the 12th hole at the old. If you stand on the green, however, and you look back towards the tee, you clearly see where they're trying to drive you or direct you to, to drive. And it's one of the amazing things and one of the great things about the old course at St Andrews. So a couple of times a year, um, they actually allow and they play events um, reversed. So they actually play the course in reverse the way it was originally designed just to actually keep a hold of that, a little bit of the history and otherwise. But there is a very, very short history lesson. Why is it 18 holes? Because the RNA said so. <laughs> they started with 22, four short ones at the start, four short ones at the end, 
they they changed them both to two, um, and and in seventeen sixty four, and then in eighteen fifty eight, they said that's just the way it's going to be, champ. Toughen up. That reminds me just of um, something just a little over the ditch. So over in Ireland, there was this um, this American guy, and he was he was over there on a holiday. Have you? If I told you this story yet? No, he was telling me about it a while ago. There was, so he's over there on a holiday, and he's he's playing. He's, he's there by himself, so he's there playing around, and he's met a couple of locals, a couple of little Irish locals who are who know the course backwards. And so he's paired with them to make up that foursome, and he gets on the tee, and he's he's up first. He's a little bit cocky. He has a few practice swings, and then he steps up to the first tee, and he proceeds to just mad hook. Like, this is just the duck hook of all duck hooks, out of bounds. Shakes his head, smiles at the ball. He reaches into his pocket and re-tees another ball. And he says to them, oh, I'm just uh, I'm just taking a mulligan. He gets up there, steps up, it goes bang, absolutely nuts it down the centre of the fairway. Big smile on his face, turns over to them and says, in the States, we call that a mulligan. What do you call that here in Ireland? And the uh, after the moment, the three guys look at each other and go, "Hitting tree." <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Phil too. He sounds decidedly Phil too, Damien. That is some of your worst. You reckon my history lesson's bad? That is some of your worst work, but it is topical because Phil too was obviously initially from the US. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, that's today's oh tenuous Lord. links wrapping up. Special thanks to today's sponsor, Echo, and the Biome Cool Pro Shoes. If ultimate comfort when walking the course is important to you, make sure you check out the Echo Biome Cool Pro Shoes. These things are definitely Barons-worthy. And remember to log on to baronslife.com and subscribe for free to get all of our updates and issues of Barons Life, the freshest golf and lifestyle magazine in the world, as well as our Tenuous Links podcast reminders and Golf Barons show updates. Philby, it's been fun. Until next time. Thank you, Damien. Add some swagger to your swing.